It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk cheese. Recorded live. This may not be for you. But it's a call to anguish. Lord, if you don't help me, I can't get through this. I can't. Lord, I'm too old for games. Foolishness. And I'm tired of rhetoric, meaningless rhetoric that never changes things. Lord, just help me. Folks, I'm tired of hearing about revival. I'm tired of hearing about awakenings. The last day outpourings of the Holy Spirit, I've heard that rhetoric for 50 years. Just rhetoric. No meaning whatsoever. I'm tired of hearing about people in the church who say they want their unsaved loved ones saved. I'm tired of hearing people say I'm concerned about my troubled marriage. Where does this talk? Rhetoric. I don't want to hear any more talk about how immoral America has become, how godless our society, how corrupt our business. I'm tired of hearing about Islam 
taking control and Christians losing power? And how dead the church has become because of that too is rhetoric. Meaningless. Away with all of our how-to conferences because they accomplish nothing. It's how to cope, how to build a bigger church, how to reach the lost, how to improve your people's skills, and how to impact the world in this computer time. And I look at the whole religious scene today, and all I see are the inventions and ministries of man and flesh. It's mostly powerless. It has no impact on the world. And I see more of the world coming into the church and impacting the church rather than the church impacting the world. I see the music taking over the house of God. I see entertainment taking over the house of God. An obsession with entertainment in God's house, a hatred of correction and a hatred of reproof. Nobody wants to hear it anymore. Tell me now, how many churches have you visited recently? How how many churches do you know where when you walk in, the Holy Ghost is so strong that every one of your sins are brought up before your face? The love and grace of God? When is the last time you've been to church where you've seen young people under such conviction because the people of God have been on their face? And there's such a concern and there's such an agony that young people are falling on their faces and calling on God because a spirit of conviction is called down from heaven upon them. How many churches have you been lately where you hear a word comes forth that so burns in your soul? You know it comes from heaven. You know it comes from the heart of God. I hope you hear it here. Whatever happened to anguish in the house of God? Whatever happened to anguish in the ministry? It's a word you don't hear in this pampered age. You don't hear it. Anguish means extreme pain and distress. The emotion so stirred that it becomes painful. Acute, deeply felt inner pain because of conditions about you, in you or around you. Anguish. Deep pain. Deep sorrow. Agony of God's heart. We've held on to our religious rhetoric and our revival talk, but we've become so passive. Our so-called awakenings, our stirrings, last but a short time, and when the last one, the short-lived revivings and awakenings come from the hand of God, they are so short-lived, and in those times we promise God we'll never return to our passivity But it's not long, it's just weeks or months and we're back and this time we slip further back into passivity than when we started. I speak from experience. 
And we say, this time, oh God, you've touched me for life. I'll never be the same. And it's like fireworks. A loud bang and a lot of noise, and then it dies. All true passion is born out of anguish. All true passion for Christ comes out of a baptism of anguish. You search the scripture and you'll find that when God determined to recover a ruined situation, he would seek out a praying man and he'd take him down into the waters of anguish. He would share his own anguish for what God saw happening to his church and to his people and he would find a praying man and he would take that man and literally baptize him in anguish. You find it in the book of Nehemiah. Jerusalem is in ruins. This is the center of God's interest on earth at the time. This holy city and it's wasted, and it's full of iniquity, mixed marriages with the heathen. They were enslaving their own people, making slaves out of the poor. The house of God was polluted with filth. The high priest was in league with Tobiah, a heathen reprobate. And how is God going to deal with this? How is God going to restore the ruins? How does he do it? What does he do? You see, we face a similar situation, except ours is many times worse. At a time when men, according to prophecy of Jesus, wax worse and worse as that is happening, it starts this defiled with pedophilia, child molestation, incest, Adultery, a nation in a moral landslide that's inundated with pornographic filth that the whole world blushes at. And now at a con film festival, according to the New York Times, there's a new movie about to hit the shore of the United States with 13, 14-year-old kids having unspeakable kinds of sex with adults. And they said at the Con Film Festival, it's the Boston Con Festival, that we have not only pushed the them up, we've gone over the edge. And America's now right for it. The royal, the ruin and moral chaos disrupting the house of God also. How else do you explain that multiplied numbers of Christians go home and watch HBO, a program I've never seen. I don't have television, but I read about it in the newspaper for today in the New York Times called The Sopranos. This is a mafia bunch that kill and murder and may gratuitous to sex, cheating, why? Mafia. And we have millions of Christians now in the United States getting together and talking about the next show, and they're addicted to it. 
He was in comfort. He was in royalty. He had made, so to speak. This was a praying man. And God found a man who was not just kind of a flash of emotion. Not just some great sudden burst of concern that I cry. He said, no. I broke down. And I wept. And I mourned. And I fasted. And then I began to pray night and day. When I heard, I wept. Why didn't his brother, the lady, why didn't these other men, who apparently were godly men because later the name was given the rule of the city, why didn't they have an answer? Why didn't God use them in restoration? Why didn't they have a word? Because there was no sign of anguish. No weeping. Not a word of prayer. It's all ruined. So they could see. Does it matter to you today? Does it matter to you at all that God's spiritual Jerusalem, the church, is now married to the world? There's such a coldness sweeping the land. So many people I know that were my friends and I see them go one by one, the husbands and wives in this such passivity, going to churches where they can find smooth messages, no longer wanting to hear anything of crap or correction. Some of my closest friends, I see them falling by the wayside. And he and he cries, is it nothing to you? Closer than that, does it matter about the Jerusalem that's in our own hearts? The sign of room that's slowly draining spiritual power and passion? Blind to lukewarmness? Blind to the mixture that's creeping in. You see, when spiritual blindness comes, very few recognize it. It's the last recognized thing that happens to a child of God. If I, as a pastor, knew you personally, and I was watching your life, and it's one of the pastors of the church, I come to you and say, I, I love you, but I have to tell you the truth. You're changing. You know what you were. Something in the world has gotten your heart. I don't know if it's television. I don't know what it is that has your heart, but I see changes in you. I, I don't see the brokenness. I don't see the compassion you had once for your family. I don't see concern for your unsafe loved ones. You're changing. Little by little, something's happening to you. Would it bring you to your knees when the ruin that you are not even aware of on a Sunday brought before your eyes? It can tell you the truth. 
I thank God for the anointing and the singing tonight. I thank God for the praise of the King for so many sanctified hearts living in covenant with the Lord. But the truth of the matter is, in all honesty, there are numbers among us that are changing and they don't know it. You've lost your fight. You see, when you're, when you're reading the book of Joshua, it's almost a book of failure because they lost their heart. They lost their fight. That's all the devil wants to do is get the fight out of you and kill it. So you won't waver in prayer anymore. You won't wait before God anymore. You can sit and watch television. You family go to hell. Let me ask you, is what I just said convicted you at all? Did you just let that go in one ear out the other? When a pastor tells you right now, hey, and I don't know who you are, but the Holy Ghost is speaking to me. You're changing. Little by little, you're losing the love of God, the love of Christ. Little by little, these things are making inroads. Folks, why do you think your pastors cry out against television? Do you think we get any pleasure out of the flesh? There's no pleasure in somebody coming and say, I heard your mess and I threw away my television. That doesn't give me any pleasure. That doesn't give any pastor pleasure. We have given account because we watch for your soul. These things, I don't know where it is on the job, things we listen to, these things that creep in, and suddenly this Jerusalem, the walls go down. Ruin steps in. Does it really matter to you that your unsaved loved ones are dying and we're getting closer and closer to the end? Does it really concern you? They could die and go to hell. Even though you're a lover of Christ. Where's the anguish? Where are the tears? Where's the mourning? Where's the fasting? Many of you fast, many of you pray, broken before the Lord. I'm talking about the body of Jesus Christ in general. Where's the getting up in the middle of the night? You see, he said, night and day I began to pray. Where's the confessing of your sins and of your children? Confessing your children's sins before the Lord or your mate's sin before God because this is exactly what Nehemiah does. He confesses his sins and the sins of all the people. And then he says, we have sinned. I have sinned. And then he said, we have sinned. See, when Nehemiah heard of the ruin and destruction, he never asked why. 
Why can a holy, just God allow his city to go to ruin? Why were so many dispersed? Why were so many killed and murdered? He didn't ask the question that we're asking America today. Why did God allow the towers to fall and over 2,000 people die in the, the uh, affair, in the crash? How could a loving God and Folks, just I, I share with Pastor Carter said the day the holy anger that arises in my heart when I hear preachers on television or, or on radio or hear that they said on television, oh, God has nothing to do with it. God has nothing to do with it. Don't put it on God. Why don't you go to Daniel 9? And I want to once and for all tell you that this was... God allowing America to be wakened. God didn't do it. He didn't stop the plans of the enemy because he had a greater purpose because it was love for America that was about to slip into everlasting hell. I'm going to lower my voice so you won't think I'm angry. Comes a time that we should be angry. I believe the message that we listened to this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, by our late Dave Wilkerson, Times Square Church, New York, is about time that some preacher of righteousness could even be you, would stand up and declare something is not right. Something is not right this morning when everything is in chaos and ruins and, and we yet still going on as if nothing has happened. We look at the news and we're not as as, as fortunate to be like Dave Wilkerson and not even have a television in the house. But it's coming. It's coming to that way that these things that you have watched to entertain the family is not, is no longer entertainment. It has become a real live event that that was on television to make you laugh because it was, it was comical. It's not comical any longer because every scene that was already played Amen. On the set is now being acted out in real life by peoples and causing peoples the tragical end. Lives are being lost. Used to be in other countries when we hear about suicide bombing, this thing started jumping off real strong in the late 80s, uh, in the early 90s, in the middle 90s. Uh, this thing was full bloom, full blown about uh, how tragic it was befitting in all these different nations. Some nations tragic ain't never stopped. Central America is one of the worstest, some of the worstest places that you could live is in little countries where the Soviets or some other ally is trying to take over. That is not a safe place. On earth, I like to see it in hell. That is not a safe place in hell either. And something must be done about it. 
You know, the preaching of the gospel used to be something, amen, that would even convict the preacher. Nowadays, the preaching of the gospel, uh, men are not telling it and acting it out as it uh, now scripture in the Bible has become a word of entertainment, something that calls you to jump up and get uncivilized. And the Lord said, all things must come to an end. Ecclesiastes talk about uh, time and season for everything under the sun. King Solomon. What must we do in times like these to become very puzzling to myself and others? that believe in righteousness and that's not going to allow anything that the Lord himself will not allow to operate before him, not even going to allow any such thing to even be in their life. Life has boundaries. There is a beginning. Well, there is an end of all things. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you this morning for the words of our late Dave Wilkerson. Oh, Father, Lord, he laid a foundation of righteousness. He spoke in your word, Father. And, Father, me as hearts are convicted all around the world because of your message. Oh, Father, Lord, help that conviction to be so deep and so scarred and so engraved in their hearts this morning that they will look and not only look, and believe, for they will begin to act that something must be done, and they too, hallelujah, will begin to take this word this morning and apply this word to their life, Lord, that someone may see their life and the change in their life, and they would want this change, Father, and they would come out to you, repent of their sins and their ways, that you may save them, Lord, from this ungod generation. Oh, Father, help us this morning to be like Nehemiah. Nehemiah didn't say that they had sinned. He said, we have sinned. We have sinned, Father, against you and against ourselves. We haven't kept them. We haven't kept your word, your covenant. We transgressed your laws and polluted your Sabbath. And, Father, we ask you that you would raise us up, Lord, from that dead level, Father, for we know your word just spoke to us yesterday and said that, Lord, some would be short-sighted and lead even to blindness. Oh, Father, help us this morning that our eyes will be open, God, and that our sight, Father, Lord, will be clearly that we may be able to see your word this morning and be able to do something, Father, that it will cause us to change our heart, mind, and ways. And we'll give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor, for you deserve the glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we give him the glory this morning. Truly. There's nothing wrong with you when you're thinking in righteousness. There's something wrong with them. Righteous living causes one to look at unrighteous and say, well, 
this thing is not the same. It looked like the unrighteous part is really, really successful. It looked like that I'm the one that's being shortchanged. But I come to tell you this morning, the greater is yet to come. The greater. And I'm not speaking of the greater one, hallelujah, descending down from heaven and blessing us, amen, hallelujah. I'm talking about there are some better days ahead for every believer, for every righteous person that can believe and hold on to your faith and know that in spite of all of your difficulties, in spite of all, in spite of all your failures, sickness, some have even valued. You know, I looked at a young man last night on television, uh, how that he had overcome cancer. God bless his soul, and he yet was trying to uh, uh, do the ninja warrior, whatever you you know you call that stuff. You know, that he had that type of fight in him, where he was willing to. Go through whatever it was, you know, castle. You know, it's just only a name. It's just so, it's so honorable and so wicked and evil, and and the name is so scary until you know it just slows a person down. That's a, a disease of the devil. Man, to go mute, 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 so I don't have to mute so I can hear you when you come and when when you when you want to say something. Please, thank you this morning. God bless you. And here we are, we've gotten on down to the end of days. And as Dave Wilkerson stated this morning, that the Lord, he don't use weapons of mass destruction, tear down buildings, blow it up, but he just get out of the way and let, uh, hallelujah, man do what they want to do. And then he stands back, you know, with his rebuilding love, his rebuilding love. And he cast upon us so that we can rebuild on broken pieces, you know, like Jeremiah. Uh, 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 he, he was it Jeremiah? He asked. He said, uh, 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 took it down to the valley of dry bones and said, look at these bones. Can these bones live? Asked Jeremiah, could they live? And Jeremiah told him, said, you only sovereign God can give life to these bones. And here we are today. We're dry as a bone. Anything, any, and, and, and I've been here preaching the gospel and preaching the word of God. and uh, I'm having a great conviction. I feel like a fool, like I'm just getting walked on, you know, because of the way you have to change your ways in life, and then in this world today, that's called weak, weakness. You're just a weak rascal, you know, and they want to tread upon you, abuse you, mistreat you, you know, in the industry that I was in, in trucking industry, they'll give you anything to run just to get you out of the way. But the run that they gave me always turned to a blessing because I was eager to go in it. You know, I went to Maine. And, you know, Maine, uh, for the Israelites, you know, is not a place you really want to be trucking around, you know. Maybe today, but in my days when I went down to Maine and Massachusetts and all background up and down, you know, it was a, a, a stitch. It was a foul odor of, of prejudice, racism, and, and, and white supremacists, you know. Still a bunch of wickedness, 
you know, just hatred everywhere. I told Shama, Shama, go search. I had to search the place in the safest place in the world to go and live. She said New Zealand and add some other countries, you know, countries of peace, you know, that is not even instigating war, you know, and, 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 and the allies around them, you know, peaceful nations, you know, they ain't even thinking about no war. They don't even want war. They don't even want it on their television set. And we've allowed this thing to creep in. It leads me to my next scripture. Yesterday we heard that the Most High, how that he said that in the book of Second Peter, that uh, these type of people would be short-sighted. They would be short-sighted and uh, uh, lead to blindness. Straight up, he just cut it short. Said that this short sighting is going to leave them blind, and we've come to that time here in twenty sixteen. And they say of our Lord, and I guess I would have to call our Lord and Savior Yahshua Jesus because uh, uh, He created it, so it still belongs to Him. And I thank Him for every breath of it, every moment of it, and and and, and my prayer to Him as Father. Help me to stay in your rights. Help me help this word to have a conviction on me so that as I deliver this message to your people, that, Father, it would do unto me first, as you said, it shall not return void. And I praise you for it. And thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm grateful this morning to get up in this word. Getting up to a cup of coffee. It sure don't. You know, I, I bless the Lord. I go and I brew the coffee, but I bet mean, it already got the word and got it right and digested it. Hallelujah. There's nobody but him. He can do it. He can quench the fiery darts that is banging against your soul and you trying to live right and, and all the sins just flying from every angle. You need to do like I do. When I hit down on the corner of the red light district, oh, I bump a right. Well, I don't even have to see it. And hopefully if I don't see it, when I do see it, I won't have to entertain it because you're going to see it. Sin is going to forever be leaking in and creeping in at every site. You know, it's just the gates to the city. And we'll allow anything to march up to the gate. You know, you should have something, Some you should have some radars around you that when that thing do start, you just marred. I told God this morning, I said, Lord, if I was to even try and get a date or do anything, meet another lady and, and, and play the harlot, it couldn't be possible because I can't stop talking about him. I can't stop talking. Every, every, every situation is ruined. Once, well, you know, just to look at me, they already know that you know you're not going to get you're not going to get very far if you ain't got some word. Lady sitting up in the hospital, of my wife appointment the other day. She reclined back. She had already saw me in her, and she saw the book that I was reading. The book was saying calling God, and I wouldn't bother nobody. I was just reading my book. But when we got over into the other department over there, she was sitting there, and she reclined back. And she had on those shades when she had got her eyes dilated up. And they were, so they were those big dark ones. So I, I couldn't see in her heart, but I could see in her soul. And she just launched an attack on me and said, but she, she really, 
she really didn't launch an attack on me, but she was Church of Christ. And we all know the, the foundation of Church of Christ. You know, God bless Church of Christ, raise him up to meet him in the end. Hallelujah. And she was asking me questions. And uh, I began to give her scripture. And then I just asked her, is that what the words say? Is that what the words say? And she was just so, she was she was just shocked. Her husband, you can see the contention coming up in him because Church of Christ brethren, they don't they they don't they don't let their wife get examined by the word, and they ain't gonna take you too much examination by the word coming from anybody outside of that uh, uh, parishion, that 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 uh, uh, religion. So to make a long story short, in the beginning, it was the Word. And in the end, it was still the Word. And the Word was in me. And and I left them silent. You ought to be able to silence the cry to get out of some of the things that we have gotten ourselves into. And silence that cry by stepping into it and giving them what they want. And it's time that we receive from the Lord that which we need because we know the doctrine of destruction is what the Lord has been preaching. I mean, I can't, it's nothing I can do about the message. I, I, I can't do anything about it. I asked him, you know, why we won't go back the other way? Why we don't go back start back from the beginning? He said, no, this is where we're at. This is this is where we at right now. He said, "You're in the right time. You're in the New Testament, and the New Testament is about to end, and so it leads us to Second Peter two. We're going to start at the first verse this morning. Good morning, family and friends. It is what it is. It's just that we preachers. There's no more stroking. There's no more patting on your back." It's no more feel good. We saw it all happen right before our eyes. It's dangerous in society for the people that is not walking in righteousness. The people that is not walking in righteousness is so out of control to even the righteousness even get wounded and killed in the midst of their chaos. And I believe it's time that some preacher somewhere stand up and give this word to us in season. Mary had a little lamb that's good. We praise God, hallelujah, for Jesus. But the little lamb died and came back. So why are you still harping and sorrow over the little lamb dying? The little lamb is alive. It's alive today. And being that the Lord is alive, it's time for us to get into the living word. And that's what we're going to attempt to do here in Second Peter, the second chapter. I hope you be blessed. Please don't like nothing I preach because I am not to be liked. This is the word. I don't like it. I just have to obey it. And if you if you fall in love with doing the thing that you don't like, if it's for righteousness' sake, then it's going to be good going in, good coming out. You're going to be blessed in the city, blessed in the field. Everywhere you go, nobody can put their hands on you. You'll be able to stand. You'll be like those six boys walked off in Joel Osteen, bless their soul, and hallelujah for Joel Osteen. 
and they were always screaming out, you know, righteousness, preaching, you know, and, 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 and repentance, and they were just doing stuff like that because they felt that with these many people sitting up in here and no one is talking about repentance, well, then we can come amongst the same people and talk about, and I believe it's right. If you're going to be heir, joint heir to Yahshua, to Jesus, then you should participate in his plans of salvation. Salvation is a free gift. You cannot earn it. You cannot uh, get it given to you any kind of way except you acknowledge that you realize that you are a sinner. And why am I a sinner? But, I mean, you gotta you gotta acknowledge something. At least acknowledge, at least acknowledge that Lord, I believe this morning. You know, my my thing is, Lord, I believe. You know, because I have to minister to peoples all everywhere, and so sometimes Jesus they not buying it because it's been watered down, trampled down, pushed underneath, and hidden from the peoples of God the truth. God's going to preach a righteous to stand up that he may be able to give it to his holy apostle so his holy apostle can deliver it into the people. But look, we don't believe in apostles. Hold up. We want no apostles, no elders, no prophets, and no prophets. You people stay away from the church. This is the way they dress this thing today. And that's why the church is still sitting in darkness, which leads me to the word this morning this destructive doctrine, Second Peter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will sacredly bring in destructive heresy, even denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Then you want to know why some of these people have some of the situations that they have in their life is because they should be bringing forth righteousness so that the tree can contain the bare righteous fruits. Look at our generation of children, teenagers. Oh, my God. Look at what happened. When the Gentile nation came and took a people and brought a people to a land to slave and to work and to build America, they use all type of people, white, black, and brown peoples to build a country only to boot them around. My Native Americans, my grandmothers, they come up in Ardmore, Oklahoma. How did they get there? Only because the people brought them there. You know, the turtle was on the fence. How did he get there? Someone put him there. Denying the truth, which brought about swift destruction. If this type of people today was ministering to me and destruction came upon them, I would mourn their destruction. I would beg and plead and cry, oh, God, what happened? Be like Nehemiah, Nehemiah the first chapter. He pleaded with the king, he was a cupbearer, and the king asked him, he said, why have your continent fallen? 
what's wrong with you today? You don't look right. He said, yeah. He said, those vagabond Jews came and told me that Jerusalem is in ruins. They come and tore the city up in AD 70, came and destroyed the city by fire, dug a trench all around it. And Jerusalem was burned, and the Jews that were out partying or whatever they were doing, they didn't get a chance to get cremated in the city. And they went and told me to mind. I'm telling you this morning, America is on the brinks of doom. Yes, the good, bad, and the ugly is going down with it. It's just on the outskirts, slowly, slowly seeping in. It's like the water that comes in and flooded my house in 2000. It slowly came in upon the door cracks and pivots. And my children called me. I said, take those quilts out of the closet and put them at the door. They called me back 15 minutes later. They said, Dad, in the quilts, water's up. Ouch. The phone began to shock him. Hang the phone, I'm sorry. All I can remember was water was up to my ouch, to his ankles. And there I was out in a limousine with a bunch of fanatics, sinners. They were drinking, and, and I was sitting in the car, golf ball side, hell's hitting the wonder. And I had a new limousine. I didn't care anything about that car. All I could think about was my children. I broke into that clubhouse. I said, it's starving outside, and they scared the hell out of them. And they came and they jumped in the car. We bailed up out of there so fast, I promised hope the Lord would kill me if I didn't run 100 miles per hour and then some, dropping off those six passengers. There were three families, husband and wife. I come down 45 going so fast, when I looked up, I seen lights. I thought they were coming after me. I just mashed on it even harder. They were shutting 45 down. When I got up to 16, I drove through four foot of water. That car died in the water. The Holy Spirit cranked it up, made it into a boat, and boated me to my home. There I got out in four foot of water. When I got up to leave, I walked in five foot of water. That's the way sin is seeping in. It's coming rapidly upon this country, America. You are, you know, it's a shame to say it. Instead of us making ready in case he do come, since we don't believe, we're sending around building clubs everywhere. Everywhere I look up, there's a new club on the block. It's like Shama and I say, I would rather go down on Montrose and Westheimer where the people's at with the big earrings in and with the darts and, and with all the uh, 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 all the pins and stuff stuck all in their ears and their nose and, and everywhere, all on their eyebrows. You know, those peoples, they just look like that, but they are totally different. They are totally different than the religious peoples in the world. Religion is what got them the way they are, and they said, no, we don't do that. Peter said these type of people, they would follow their destructive ways because of whom the truth, the way of truth, would be blasphemy. 
they they don't really believe the word this morning. Third verse said, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. They're going to want what you got. They're going to cover your gift. And they're going to use words against you in order to crush your spirit, to make you feel like that you couldn't be called of God. This, this, What you're saying, it's outdated. This is a new era. You're an error. God loves everybody. He accepts everybody. That's why we can do this and do that. No. No, it's not. You're a liar, and you don't know the truth. But I rebuke any liar that sit here and would say that. Anyone call themselves any other religion teaching that type of gossip, heresy, deceptiveness, you are short-sighted, which have led to blindness, according to First Peter, I mean Second Peter 1 giving you the word today, you can believe it and be blessed eternally. Don't worry about what people say and do to you and it look like you're the only one that's walking this walk. You're not the only one that's walking the walk. I'm walking it. I'm talking it. Every day of my life, it's a challenge. You know, you're going to feel strange. You're going to feel funny. You're going to look at yourself in the mirror. You're going to ask yourself over and over and over, you know, (laughs) is this all... All of what? What more do you want? You got your eyes. You heard him. You can see him. You can see the peoples around you. And you can see the shape that we are in. And you're standing there. And you're looking at how blind some of these people are very spiritual. And they're very close to you. And you look at how blind, and you didn't even know. I didn't even know it. I didn't know it. You know, they thought me to be strange and something was wrong with me. And this is how backwards your life will be when you walk in righteousness. Walking in righteousness, it really appears to be something is wrong. It's not nothing wrong because I want you to look. You have more peace now. You're able to rest now. You don't have to take all of those uh, sleeping pills. You don't have to take all of them. I know what I'm talking about because I had to take all these painkillers and stuff. So let's not get it crossed. You can't sell me nothing. You know, I needed them. I already know about it. And today, I don't have to walk in that. I I don't have to ingest something to deal with some of the pains were just psychological pains, even though, you know, I did have an injury, you know, that really resulted in a lot of pain and still deal with those pains. But we deal with them in a different a different way now, a totally different way. You know, I get more of this word, and I remind him of his word. As I remind God of his word, it becomes funny to me because no, no, no sooner as I remind him of his word, he either says something to me in my spirit or it either happens for me. And so I, I'm, I'm able to laugh and see that the life I'm living 
it's paying off. It will pay off. You'll walk in righteousness. Shama would have been dead in her grave today if it had not been for the righteousness of God that I believe in when the physician just shook his head and had no answer for my baby. And there my baby was. The Lord wouldn't give you this child. You know, uh, one lady in the store, uh, H-E-B, I said, come on, girl, I'm not buying all them sweets. The lady said, you... You are uh, you are blessed to have a daughter," she said. "Because I had a daughter, she had a severe asthma attack in uh, well, it was two months ahead of the time when she told me. So she just had lost a a granddaughter to a, a bad asthma attack, and I just got angry. I said, "Asthma attack my ass! I lost it, and I forgot that I was talking to the lady." But the lady got the message; it was short. My child is alive today because she had one so severe until they rushed her from one hospital. And while they were waiting on the ambulance to come from Texas Children, they took off the breathing apparatus. So there we was again when I walked back in the room fighting to get this oxygen under control. And it was a big mess. Got it under control. Then the people came from Texas Children, took it off. There we were fighting to get the oxygen well, she can ingest it after they gave her all those steroids and all the abuterol. And I know, I, I, I preach what I know because, hallelujah, I know. Woo! The enemy is taking our children's lives, husbands, wives. And we have no power. Can you imagine all of this trauma? But you know what? I knew and Shama knew because the Lord brought it to my remembrance when I stepped up to my bed that about a month and a half before that, I was driving down Derry Ashford. Shama was in the back seat, and I couldn't breathe. And I opened the door to the car, pulled over out of the street, and I thought maybe I could vomit this thing out. You know, it felt like it was just something in restriction down in my in my lungs, in my windpipe. And so I wasn't rationally trying to trying to make it out. I wasn't trying to pick it out. I just stopped. Time just stopped. And I heard a voice say, the ambulance is not going to help you. You're right. I wasn't thinking about calling no ambulance. I wouldn't try to figure out where it come from. All I could say in my spirit is just two shall pass. And I thought about that when I was standing there at the head of Shama bed and the nurses were standing down at the foot of the bed. And the doctors were standing there. And uh, uh, I remind Shama of this all the time. I remind her of it all the time. I said, Shama, do you think that he saved you? so that you can go and paint the world with your part of sin. I said, won't you work for him? I said, the first thing you hear in the morning time is the word. And the evening time, the word. I said, our life is, is nothing but the word because he saved us both. He saved me from many things. You all that are listening this morning, the Lord has saved you over and over from time to time. You know, I know my messages are long, you know, 
but it's time for all the music to just stop. I, I said, I, I don't even want any music. What, what, what is the music for? The music, just stop all of the music and let's just get down to the nitty-gritty. You either saint or you ain't. You're going to need some power. You, you're not going to be able to lay there and the doctor's probing you with knives and forks as if you was a dead. You, you, you know, it's time for you to just get some power and just say, well, you know, Lord, no more sickness, no more pain. I'm giving it all to you. I'm, I'm, I'm trading my sorrow. I'm, I'm trading my sickness and my pain. I'm just going to trade all of this. I'm going to trade all of this for you. I'm going to exchange it for your word. I'm going to have a word for every situation. For any and everything that come against me, I'm going to have a word so straight, so strict, so strong, it ain't coming. Go another way. It's time that we stand up and speak what the word say. Speak over these situations so that we'll be able to have peace. How are you going to ever have peace in your life, in your home? When you don't have peace in your soul, it's the soul man this morning. You see, our heart just has all these issues in it. But our soul is the very seat of our being that possesses this spirit in us. And this thing is crying this morning out. It's crying out in every person's heart. And they just drown it out with alcohol, with drugs, with sex, and anything that will keep the flame going, you know, keep the party going, you know, keep it up. Man, we, man, look, uh, we ain't got but a two six-packs left, and we got a half a gallon. Pick up a couple of more gallons. This is real. We drowned it out with psychotropic drugs. We medicate ourselves. When all you have to do, my friends, is telling you the truth. You can leave me or you can go on with your destructive ways. Don't you know that the body is a self-healer? How is my body ever going to heal if I don't give it a chance to heal and try and detox? I need to detox from whatever it is that I need to do in order to keep me able to do what I'm doing for these 12 hours a day that I have to spend making my own decision. Well, I'm not making any decisions. Yesterday or today, no more decision making. It makes you delirious. It makes you, it, it puts too much strain on your brain. You say, Lord, here I am, and whatever your will is today for me, then uh, let's do it. I'm not doing it unless you go first. I need help. You need help this morning. And your help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We don't want no more of these destructive teaching with all this heresy and denying the Lord. You know, you denied the Lord when you said uh, uh, gay, lesbian, homosexuals. You know, the truth is the truth now. So you can protest me. I don't even care. It runs in my family just like it runs in yours. I love every man, woman, boy, and girl. I don't throw the baby out with the bath water. I let the Lord live and do what he said he's going to do to bring us out. Some don't want to come out. And that's what the writer is saying this morning in Second Peter. He said that 
we bring destruction because of our sight, our short-sightedness has caused blindness. Now he said in the third verse of Second Peter 2-3, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, that judgment has not been idle, and that destruction does not slumber. They are leaving here. Look at it. When two people or one person take a gun and kill up any person, massacre all over the world. We've been having massacres. They've been having men slaughtering men by the thousands. That you know, in Oklahoma, you know, it had you know, that's just another wake up call. Orlando, Florida. This this happened not just happened. You need to go and check the roots of America and check the people of America and the people, the British people. Check the British people out. Well, let's see how many of the British slaughtered. Let's see how many of the Romans hung up on that old raggedy cross that, you know, you people walk around wearing crosses. Do you not know that the cross is a murdering weapon? Why in the world would you want to wear a cross? you got to think about it now. Here's one thief on the right. Here's another one on the left. Well, then they were there before I got before he got there. So if they were there before he got there, then this old cross stuff been around for a long time, you Romans been doing. Y'all been murdering people on old wooden a piece of wood out there, grind them out. If you didn't kill them, you break their leg and all that, and the sun just parched them to death with no water. Yeah. We ain't never even thought about it like that. We just read about the old rugged cross where he hung out. If we love him, we'll stop putting him on that cross and we'll remember him as a risen Savior that rose, hallelujah, from the death and the grave. where God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah. One of the eight peoples, a preacher of righteousness. Everybody else died in the flood, but this one preacher, preacher of righteousness, they laughed at him. They mocked him. They they ridiculed his children and said, your dad is drunk. Well, he was drunk for 120 years, building a heart so that we can repopulate. And look what we got to today. You think, do you think that God saved Noah to go out and live and, and, and his sons and daughters made babies after babies after babies until he came up with an Adam? And then Eve, and then they made, you know, we don't really literally understand what happened. We just think that we evolved. You evolved, all right, and it wasn't by a big bang theory. It was a bang, and this is your bang. Lord, I just preached like should listen to Dave Wilkerson. He could mess you up. Preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. I wouldn't preach this if I didn't believe it. If I didn't love God's people, I wouldn't preach it. But if you don't be righteous yourself, and if you're a preacher, you just got to preach what the Lord say preach. 
bringing in the flood on the world of ungodly and turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward lived like ungodly. You don't even see that I'm bringing you an example this morning. You're living ungodly. Even as he turned the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, when he told Noah, when he sent a preacher, he sent an angel to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he told him, he said, go and find me 50 righteous men. The man of God said, how about if I find 20? Ten, one, couldn't even find one man, couldn't find one righteous man. It got so bad that when the angels came to the city, they didn't even want to let, they, the, the, the angels was trying to, I was, I was thinking I was getting my, getting my words mixed up, but even if, even if, it, even if, uh, Anyhow, these angels came and was knocking on the door, and 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 they opened the door, and the, and 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 the men came. The angels came into Lot's house, and the men came up there, and the men said, "Send out those, send out your visitors." And he sent his daughters out there and said, "Do do unto them as you would." And they said, "No, we didn't want your daughters. We we want those men." And these men were so so vicious to want to get it able to break the door down. So the angels touched the door. You know the story. And everything that touched it, after the angels touched it, they became blind. And they were groping around the house, still trying to get in. Lord said, forget it. Reprobate. Reprobate it. I'm destroying it. Get out. And that's what it's like today. The Lord is saying, flee Babylon. Flee the youthful lust. Can you imagine what the next generation of voters will vote like? You have the slightest idea. You're caught up in the frantic fear of looking at television. Well, you need to be looking at your book. The book says, fret not thyself of evildoers. I'm not afraid of no one breaking in, uh, afraid of no one coming and scratching up my car with a knife or or doing any of that foolishness. I'm not a part of that life. I'm only a part of what this word says. Now, do I have uh, uh, things happen? Surely I do. Uh, do I be hurt? Yes, I do. A lot of things happen. There are many people that are debtors to me today, but I'm not going to worry about what their debts or what, what's wrong with them. I'm not going to even deal with that, what they owe me or what they've done to me. I'm not going to waste any time worrying about how you've offended me. I'm going to just keep preaching the word. Whether that's one or one million, I'm going to preach this word. I'm going to live it. I'm going to do all I can to help whoever, wherever I go. You know, I, I got a wonderful testimony. I went into the service station, and I noticed a man sitting there on the uh, newspaper rack, on the thing they put the papers in, and uh, I noticed he had one leg. But I, I know the guy, and I don't remember. I remember him having two legs, you know, And but I, you know, I, I, now he had one. So anyhow, he wasn't a beggar. He wasn't asking for alms or anything. He was just sitting there relaxing. 
When I went in and had the man $10, I said, give me $8 worth of gas. I said, well, I should have got the 10 But anyhow, I walked out, and, and they give you a card at Cisco. You know, you purchase your gas on the card, and you go put the card in the machine. When I went to the machine, I pulled it off, and usually when you put your card in, you need to leave it hanging up so that um, the computer can make it, its adjustments, and it will read across the uh, wait one minute. And then they'll say, uh, start pumping. But I pulled it off and I started pumping. And when I started pumping, I was just sitting there, and I, I don't forget what I was thinking about. But I noticed the pumping went past $8. The pump sitting there, it filled up and stopped at 15 or 1. So I looked at the guy in the window, and I said, thank you in my spirit, because I know it ain't been nothing but the manager, the, the owner of the store, he just open the pump. Now, I still have the $8 on the card, all because he saw an act of kindness. He knew I didn't understand because I said I should have just put the whole 10 in. But when I walked out the door, I had that young man the $2. Not that he needed I just said, man, get you something cold to drink. And that's the words that came out of my mouth. Otherwise, I didn't treat him like get you something to eat. Because it didn't appear that he was hungry. He didn't appear he needed anything to drink. But it was the Lord just making an act of kindness to fill up my tank so I can go further and have more left when I run that down, stick the card in, and he's an abundant God this morning. I want you to believe that whatever you need from him, hallelujah, you're going to have to activate your faith to believe that he wants to speak through you. He wants to show you himself so that somebody else can see and can hear of his glory. Hallelujah. He's an awesome God this morning. Every day of my life is a very exciting day. I look forward every day I have to leave the house and take me a cruise. I call it a cruise. And I and the chauffeur, Shama used to cruise with me. But I and the chauffeur, we cruise down the road, and every now and then I take it and I put me a song on and I blow through the chauffeur and sing the song. I make the chauffeur make music because I want to make Nelly. Get out of here, Leo. Even the dog even wants the word. He's coming back here with a speaker that he's going to sit down right there and look around the corner at me. <laughs> Is that all right? <laughs> the dog said, you're preaching, you're reaching now. You, you're meddling, you're reaching and you're meddling. But that's what we have to do. It got me a full tank of gas and then some. So I bless him, hallelujah, because I recognize how his blessing is being delivered to us. It's only going to come through the hand of a man, a woman, an animal. It's only going to come through the hand of life. And the reason I say life, because the short testimony, a guy that I had was sitting down eating with, I bought a burger. I bought a burger, and I bought him a burger, and I just sat down on the curb and ate a burger with him. But he told me one time, he said, a dog came through there with a, with a bag with two burgers in it. <laughs> came right down there to him. So I, I can't do anything but believe him, you understand?
But I I, I I love trying to show people that, you know, if you can just only believe and, and if I can be an encouragement, if I can be a part of your faith, you know, then I want to be that. I, I want you people that are listening to me, you know, the reason I just preach so long, I don't have time for all the music and all the, and all the interventions, all of the uh, 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 what you call it, they get, they put on programs or whatever you want to call it stuff. I don't, I don't remember the stuff. All I all I can remember is that when I do get off of this line, is that I need the Lord to lead me to my next assignment. Because I found out you're going to get tired, you're going to get weary, you're going to not have the strength. Preaching the gospel every morning. It takes a lot. I mean, it brings a total change over your being, your body, your everything. If you, you don't have to preach, you just start walking in righteousness. It's a good feeling. It's a beautiful walk because you're human. And the body is subject to all types of interventions. You don't have to let them live there. You, you, if your fingers start hurting you, don't let it pass for no two, three days. Next thing you know, you're down at the hospital. If anything on you ever start bothering you that's different, when you start changing, then you begin to rebuke it and tell it it can't live here. Don't let no disease, no pain, take no precedence in your life that ain't there. If the Lord put it there, you said, Lord, if it be thy will. Paul, the, who was that? Was it Paul? said, remove this thorn from me. He said, my grace is sufficient. His thorn was nothing but a message. Who do you think he is, Paul? All the people you didn't kill, and, and now you over here trying to witness. These folks is not going to believe you. Every time he got ready to preach the gospel, that spirit would minister to him in a negative way that would quench his spirit. So he asked the Lord to remove it. He said, no, my grace is sufficient. So don't let nobody tell you that he had a thorn in his side, which was a affliction. It was no affliction. He said it was a message from Satan that buffeted me. He said that what the thorn was. I just go to show you how how short-sighted some preachers are. They still walking around talking about, well, I don't know where it was. I don't know what type of infirmity. No. He said it was a message from Satan that buffeted me. It was only words. It was only words of the devil. Believe the truth this morning. And if you believe the truth of God, hallelujah, if you believe the truth of God, you'll be able to stand on the things of God. The Lord is your fortress and your strong tower. Who shall you fear and who shall you be afraid of? When the enemies come upon you, when they try to snare you with sickness and death and pain, He'll step in, the Lord of glory, and he'll save you. Hallelujah. Bible said, and he delivered righteousness, which was life, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. See, this stuff is very depressing, very heavy uh, in the world today the filthy conduct of the wickedness that here in America and around the world, it ought to vex your soul and make you angry and make you short-sighted in looking at it. Well, you don't want to look at it. You want to turn away and go another direction. 
It's time that we turn aside and see it from the side angle and keep stepping in the other direction and look no more. But do something about it. Be about your Lord business today. Hallelujah. They first say, tormented. It's wise of the soul from day to day by seeing and hearing the longest deed. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust on, on the punishment for the day of judgment and escape, especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness despise authority. Walking in uncleanness this morning, an automatic punishment falls upon the ungodly. No, God didn't put it there. He put the word in existence that this will be the penalty for sin and for the conduct of wickedness. Those that oppress the godly, automatic torment will be returned as the torment that was laid upon the righteousness to bear as they went to work, as they drove and tried to keep their children safe. In the school system, the children are not safe any longer. They want pedophiles. Oh, my God. Lawlessness deeds. But, Lord, you said you would deliver the godly out from around the temptation. And you're going to reserve the unjust and the punishment for the day of judgment. He said, especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness. They don't want to have any authority over them. They despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignity, dignitaries. When angels who are in greater power and might do not bring a manifestation against them before God, you can't put your mouth on the peoples of God and expect that you're going to live a fruitful life. You are going to suffer. Whatever you sow, my friend, you're going to reap it. Let us sow righteousness, sow righteousness this morning in the house of God. Let him live in you this morning. Hallelujah. 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 To God be the glory. Hallelujah. We'll pick it back up tomorrow from there. Father, I thank you this morning. Your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. I ask you, Father Lord, to break to break my will this morning and to break every person's will this morning that they may come under the almighty hand of God 
that they may know and understand that you meant what you said. You said what you meant. Help me, Father, to continue in the straight and narrow. Let me not lean to the left, not to the right, but move by your spirit in my life. Change me. Change your people that will hear this message. Father, I pray for those that are without repentance this morning, that you would lead their heart to repentance, that they would draw nigh to you and they will cleanse themselves through repentance, coming to know you, asking you to come into their heart this morning and change them, change their ways. This is uh, my prayer this morning. I pray in the most high God and in his son, Yahshua, Jesus, the Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. God is an awesome God. He reigned. He didn't just get started. He didn't get started. He already begun. Let him begin in you a new work. And I give him the glory. Amen. Hallelujah. What an awesome God we serve. The gospel of accommodation. Now, to accommodate means to adapt. It means to make suitable or acceptable. It also means to adjust, to make something very convenient. It means to yield to the desires of others to placate them. Now, you put that together, and I'm talking about a gospel that's been invented in hell, and now being propagated all over the United States. It's a suitable, acceptable, convenient a gospel that has yielded to the desires and the weaknesses of sinful men. I call it the gospel of accommodation because it's adapting and adjusting the gospel uh, to appease and attract sinners. This gospel accommodation is primarily an American cultural invention to ease our lifestyle. It appeals primarily to white America, rich and prosperous. It was invented out of hell itself. This new gospel is sweeping the America and the nation is influencing ministries of every denomination. It's giving birth to mega churches. Some of the largest churches in the United States are involved in this gospel. It's a non-confronting, convenient gospel adapted. It is spoon-fed to the congregation by uh, skits, humorous skits and trauma, short, non-abrasive, 20-minute messages, and it's all called seeker-friendly. The seeker-friendly churches. And one of these days, there may be somebody who will in the city and try to bring one of these churches right into New York City. They are spraying up now overnight and suddenly thousands of tens. This new box was being propagated by bright, young, intelligent, ta- talented ministers. It came upon a formula by which you can go in any city in any town and almost overnight build and make a church. And as I understand this formula, 
You begin by going into the community with your workers and you pull the community to find out what the sinner found offensive about attending church. Well, why don't you attend church? And what was offensive about it? And what would it, what would we have to do to bring you back into the church? What would make you comfortable? What would you like to see? You don't like choirs? We'll do away with choirs. You, you don't like suits in church? You come the way you choose. Uh, just tell us what you want. And they survey the community and then sit in there uh, with their computers and in their conference rooms, and they design a program that will make it comfortable for the sinner and make it friendly for, they really call it sinner friendly, they would call it seeker friendly, and try to attract them to come into the house of God. It's becoming the most prosperous, most flourishing of all religious movements in the history of America. The churches are run like corporations. The pastor is the CEO, chief executive officer. It is big business, and this formula is now being cleverly packaged, and it is now being pushed in seminars all over the United States. It sounds good. What they say sounds very good. It sounds spiritual in its goals. It sounds like Jesus is a central thing. And folks, I'm not going to name any names because I'm not talking about the character of these men. I'm talking about the gospel that they preach. I am here to remind you that Paul, the apostle, warned of the coming of another gospel which we have not preached. He said there is coming another gospel that's going to preach another Jesus. You'll hear his name. It will sound sweet, but it's not the Jesus that our priest, Paul said. It's not the true Jesus. Paul goes on, or Paul was amazed. He said that you were so removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel. Folks, listen to me. There is in the land right now with thousands of people sitting under another gospel, another Jesus, being preached by ministers who have lost the touch of God and been transformed into angels of light, the common to deceive, if possible, even the elect of God. Paul goes to warn the church. It's really not another gospel, but it's a perversion of the gospel of Christ, which is really not another, Paul said, but there will be some that trouble you and pervert or change the gospel of Christ. He said they're going to change it. They're going to accommodate the sinner. They're going to accommodate their pleasures. They're going to accommodate all of their needs. And they're going to design a gospel with their own Christ, with their own doctrine. Then this awful warning from Paul. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, but that which we preached unto you, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Folks, I didn't say that. The apostle Paul said it. If anybody preach another gospel, what you've heard, if anyone preach anything but the crucified Christ, if anyone preach anything that appeases man in his sin, that's not the gospel you heard from me, Paul said. If anyone preaches another, let him be a curse. And he said it's going to be dangerous because it's going to come from seemingly pious, sincere ministers. That's what made the doctrine called antinomianism so dangerous. Because it was in the hands of some very uh, fine, uh, good-living men like Dr. Chris, who was one of the founders of that anti-law movement back during the Puritan age. Anti-law, they, they cast aside the burden of the law. 
And the reason they were so accepted because the men who were priests seemed to be so pious. My trouble when I hear Paul warn us that Satan's going to come right into the church disguised as an angel of light. He's going to infiltrate into the church with his own ministers. They'll come angel like he said, preaching a false gospel of righteousness. For such are false prophets, false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose ends will be according to their works. Paul said they're going to come and they're going to glory in the flesh. They're going to glory in their might. Their money, they're going to glory in their bigness, their numbers, and they're going to glory in the fact that they are so contemporary. They're going to glory in their acceptance by the world. Jesus warned, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. They're come like gentle sheep, sincere, intelligent, bright, but setting with their ravening wolves. And folks, Jesus gave that in the context of his message. He said, because straight is the gate, narrow is the way, which leadeth to the life and few that be that find it. And the very next verse, he said, beware of false prophets. You're going to come and seek clothing, but they're ravening wolves. It's Christ himself warning us. False prophets, false pastors, false evangelists, posing as, as submissive sheep. When it comes saying the way is not that narrow, the way is not that straight, and they're going to accommodate. They're going to change the gospel to suit the needs of the people. Jesus puts his finger on the Moses behind them. Ambition. The word ravening here, ravening goes in the Greek name, star for recognition and recognition and gratification. May it arise, start to make it. You see it in a business world. You see it on your job. People trying to climb the ladder and get recognition quickly and focus now in the ministry. Full blown. Young men so ambitious to be one of the big boys, to have the biggest church, the biggest numbers, the biggest crowds. He said they're ravening wolves. And Jesus left no doubt about what he meant. And this is simply what he meant. They're going to be struggling pastors in the land. And they're going to look out and see all of the striving and competition for numbers and recognition. And there's going to be a growing, growing pressure to expand and be successful. They see the measuring of success now by how big the buildings are and how many people attend the church on Sunday morning. And this struggling pastor has been faithful up to now. She's struggling young, uh, uh, she's brought young men come down the street nearby, and suddenly overnight he's pastoring thousands of people in a secret friendly church. A young man once experienced, a young man has not paid his dues as far as this man is concerned. He's still preaching an old fast, old fashioned faithful gospel in the cross and its claims, and he's struggling. Because not many people want to hear the cross. Jesus said, few are going to be to find it. Wide is the road leading destruction. Narrow is the way, Jesus said, straight and narrow. 
And Jesus this morning, he said to the pastor's brother, man of God, watch out. The moment you look out on the competition, the moment that she gets in your heart, the devil's going to put one of these wolves and sheep closing right at your path. He's going to seduce you into an ungodly ambition to compete and to be one of these big boys. And he's going to tempt you for church growth at any cost. And it costs the soul of the pastor. I read Paul's warning in Second Corinthians 11 chapter about ministers being transformed into angels of light who believe they're preaching righteousness, but they've been changed somehow into a tool of Satan. And I say, God, can that be possible? Lord, is that, is that really reasonable that a man who starts right can change and become a tool of the devil in the pulpit? Might I conclude that a man of God can start right, be a true shepherd for a season, preach a true gospel, that something of hell lays hold of his heart, and his spirit, something demonic, and he changes and he becomes a minister of Satan. Folks, it's happening every day. It's happening right here in New York City. When men become dissatisfied with preaching a simple gospel, they get bored and not praying, and they're not seeking God, and they get their eyes on people and numbers, and, and, and they want to be just like everybody else. I want to be a success. And so it comes out, and I hear it everywhere I go. I hear a pastor say, I saw it on television, and I watched in, uh, in the apartment we were renting on a vacation, and it was Sunday morning, and he listened to these pastors with 2,500 this year. My goal next year is 4,500 at any cost, any way, to reach that goal. Not wrong to pray for growth, but if it's only to feed human ambition, it'll change the man into a devil. Listen, if you find the right formula, it says you can get success in any field of endeavor possible. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Some young men have come up with a formula how to build a church. A formula. This formula-based accommodating gospel is contrary to everything in the Scripture. I read in Acts 13 of a gathering of godly men in Antioch. They were going to send out some young ministers to establish churches and preach the gospel to a darkened world. How does God go about building churches? How does the Holy Ghost work? Scripture said, they gathered and they ministered to the Lord and fasted. This was in our planning session. Worship, fasting, waiting on the Lord for direction until the Holy Ghost comes and tells them exactly what to do. Number two, they prayed. No strategizing, no networking. No one made a step until the Holy Ghost said, this is the way, walk in it. And then when the Holy Ghost spoke, they laid hands on it and sent them out. The Bible says, under the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You see, Paul had lived his whole religious life under religious formulas. He saw, he'd lived with these man-made schemes. He had seen teachings that accommodated the weaknesses and the sinfulness of backslidden Jews. He had his stomach full of it. He said, I have nothing to do with that. It attracts the multitude, yes, 
But he said, one day Jesus came and revealed himself in me. Paul put all of the formulas aside as dung, as garbage. Paul, by his own confession, said, I'm determined to support the food he preached the gospel of Christ in power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. And unless the gospel is preached in power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost, it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. And sadly, multitudes in Iraq don't even know what the gospel is because they haven't heard it. Paul boasted unashamedly, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. Paul said, now, brethren, the, the, the Jews and the Greeks are trying to make us accommodate our message now. The Jews want us to give them signs and the Greeks want wisdom. They want miracles over here and over here they just want to insist on how to cope. They want wisdom. But Paul said there will be no accommodating. Let them call out preaching and foolishness. Let them say it's out of date. It is not contemporary. It's not determined to preach nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This other gospel accommodates the sinner in many ways. But there are three areas of accommodation that the Holy Ghost grieves over. And this, I've felt the grief of God on these three areas of accommodation where people, where ministers are changing the gospel to suit the crowd. Number one, the accommodation of man's love for pleasure. Notice also that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men should be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And the deep word for pleasure is sensuality, lust, voluptuousness, nothing more exciting, gratifying, sensual pleasures. And all folks fears the danger. Those who are established these secret friendly churches, they and they're prepared to accommodate the crowd. The Bible says they're going to have to not it's very, very clear they cannot preach against sensuality because the apostle says they're going to be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of the God. They're going to love their sports. They're going to love their X-rated movies. They're going to love their videos. They're going to love their their computer uh, sex. They're going to love these sensual things. The Bible says they're going to love these things. They're going to come into the house of God. And if you're going to accommodate them, you're not going to touch one of their lusts. They're going to say one word about it. They're going to have to be, they're going to have to be prepared to stand in their pulpit and we could sin. Paul said of these men, these resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, counterfeit regarding the hate. Counterfeit. You know, I watched in disbelief that a televised main service of one of these secret friendly churches, one of the large secret friendly churches. And the pastor starts the service saying, we're here to have fun tonight because tonight is David Letterman night. The pastor said, brazenly after service, we're here not to offend, but to make it comfortable. How long do you think that crowd would stay in that church and the pastor was shaken by the Holy Ghost, convicted of entertaining people into hell? 
And he stood up one Sunday night and he said, be sure to see to find you out. Let me tell you what happened at church. Those thousands who sit there, those who were claiming for God didn't know any better. They would weep and break before God in a moment. And everyone else would head for the doors and never come back. Oh, there will be pastors on judgment day hear these awful words, Son of man, I am made thee a watchman. You were to hear the word of my mouth and give them warnings from me. You were to tell the wicked doctor surely die. You gave them no warning, nor spake to warn the wicked from the wicked ways to save their lives. These same wicked men will die. These same wicked men did die in their sins, but now their blood I will require from your hands. Accommodation number two, the accommodation of modern man's aversion to self-denial. Number three, the accommodating of men's offense of the cross. Behold, I lay in Zion, the stumbling stone, the rock of offense. Paul spoke of the offense of the cross. And we're coming now to the heart of why God hates this new doctrine, this new movement in America. This is why God hates it, rejects it outright, why he's cursed it, why God will put anathema on any preacher who embraces it. God demands more than coming to the cross. He demands going through the cross. And that's the offense, that it takes everything a man has and owns and trusted. You see, the, offense of the, the sinner is most willing to come to the cross and kneel before it. He's willing to take the claims by a single confession of faith and, and just to say, yes, Lord, I believe. He wants all of the benefits of the cross. He wants to believe that Christ has sacrificed, yes, and covered all his sins. Now, folks, that vain priest, the cross, though all the phraseology is there, it's sweetly talked about the cross, come to the cross of Jesus and be forgiven. There's not one word about saying, going on with Christ into the tomb and to die. There's not a word about going down into the grave and coming out resurrected in newness of life. It's coming to the cross, kneel, say a prayer, and go back to your sins. Go back and no one say a word. You take it by faith. You are now the righteousness of Christ. No dying to sin, not being resurrected in newness of life. Now that's the offense of the cross. Did you go all the way when you come? He demands. Full obedience. He demands everything we have. And I'm afraid a majority of people who claim to be Christians and saints in these last days have been to the cross, but they've never been through the cross. They've never been buried with Christ. Paul said, I died with Christ. I was raised with Christ. I was crucified with Christ. I not only came to his cross, I picked up my cross. I went through with him. We have another gospel now that tells men what the cross did for him, but not what it wants to take him to. The gospel, folks, is not just forgiveness. It's not simply believe and get heaven someday. 
not only the saving of the soul, but the saving of the body. This flesh. God says, I want your flesh. I want your body. It's a living sacrifice. And that's the preaching of the cross. Folks, I don't care if, they, if somebody can gather a crowd of 100,000 people in the stadium and they can turn to me and say, Pastor David, you're wrong. Look, 100,000 people that have come to my secret friendly church, and here they are. They're all believers now. And folks, I wanted you to know something. If those 100,000 people have not been given the full gospel of Jesus Christ, have not been preached very fully, if the claims of the cross have not been laid there, and if they've been called and comforted in their sins, that 100,000 have been made twice a child of hell than ever before there, and worse shape because the Bible says they can come now and hear the words of the curse even and bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my heart and add drunkenness to thirst. Because a false peace has been given to them that they can live on their sins. Never be rebuked. Never be reproved. Never see the claims of the cross. That he only died to deliver medicines from the heart of sin and the idea of sin, but the dominion of sin in his own life. If the preaching of grace doesn't have it, it's called righteousness, it's another gospel. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly love, which will live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I, I, I saw a televised interview of, of people that had joined one of America's most renowned seeker-friendly churches. And this man testified the words, I'm as close, I believe, as the way I heard it. And he said, I've come here because I've never made you feel uncomfortable about my life. I can bring my Jewish friends, my business associates, they'd never be embarrassed. I don't have to be a fanatic, and the preaching and the skits are really enjoyable and uplifting. And best of all, church only lasts one hour. Contrast that with Paul's preaching. God these child works repentance to salvation, not to be repented at all. Behold this self, same thing that you sorrowed after godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourself, indignation, fear, yea, what vehement desire and zeal, what repentance, and all things you approved yourself to be clear of this matter. Paul warns that there's not that kind of preaching. Many will walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping. They are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose blood is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. I came to New York City when AIDS was plaguing Broadway. People were dying left and right. Black Muslims in Times Square spewing out hate. Young blacks and young Puerto Ricans feeling the world has left them behind and angry. Intellectuals cursing Christ. Liberal minds who say there's no hope. And you tell me I'm going to come in with a 15-minute step. And I'm going to have a cute little worship team giving little kitty box songs. So I've got any water. 
kindness. Folks, we started down on Crack Alley on 41st Street in that ragtag theater. And from the first time I stood in the pulpit, I preached repentance. I preached the cross. I said, I'm not, we are not here to comfort you in your sins. We're here to confront you in your sins and to believe that that's the Savior will deliver you. And they, the experts tell us that won't work. People don't want that. I talked to a man the other day just was visiting one of these churches, and they decided they're going to break their church up in a little group with, with prayer meetings. And he went to one of the prayer meetings. And this is a seeker-friendly type church. And you know what the prayer meeting consisted of? Hot chocolate and donuts. And then they brought all their games out, the board games and played games the rest of the evening. And they're those people that are dying in their sins and they're playing Ouija boards and all of this garbage. you think for one moment we would ever stand the Carter, myself, or any of our men, any of our teachers would stand in this pulpit where drug-crazed people come to visit People half dead, people crying and yearning for just one word of hope. You think for one minute I'm going to give a 20 minute sermonette to ease their mind? No. I am so glad he laid hold of my heart one day. I'm so glad. He revealed his heart to me. And I can say with Paul the Apostle, he revealed his, uh, he, Christ revealed himself in me, not to me, but in me. Hallelujah. And as, as long, I know as long as this man is in this church, as long as I'm in this pulpit, there will never, ever be in this pulpit an accommodating gospel. Ever an accommodating gospel. Your input is invalid. You entered 9. Please enter your PIN followed by the pound or hash. If you do not know your PIN, please enter pound or hash. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.